This morning we are continuing in our series in Ephesians. We just have a few more weeks and then we'll be moving on to, I hope, a series on Psalms uh, in the fall. And so that is my that is my plan. But this morning we're continuing in Ephesians and we're in chapter 6. So if you would turn to Ephesians 6 and let's look at verse 5 and read along with me. Verse 5, slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Father, please help us this morning, we pray, to be addressed by Scripture. Lord, please speak to us by your Spirit. Help us to understand and grasp truth this morning that we might grow and be drawn near to you that we might be sanctified by you that we might become more like Christ Lord help me this morning to serve my dear friends Lord help me to pastor this church well through preaching your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Why, why do we study scripture every Sunday? Why do we read it during the week? But specifically here on Sunday morning, why, why do we sit here? It's because I believe God desires to be good to us. God is about to address us in and through his word this morning. And he is wanting to address us because he loves us, because he desires to be good to us. And God is good to us. He's good to us through truth. He's good to us through teaching. He's good to us because his Holy Spirit comes and makes passages of scripture clear to us and relevant to our lives. And that's what the Lord desires to do this morning. And as we read this passage, as we've read this passage, it is an unusual and a difficult one. Let me read a story to you. A man writes, as a bagpiper, I play many gigs. Recently, I was asked by a funeral director to play at a graveside service for a homeless man. He had no family or friends, so the service was to be at a pauper cemetery in the Kentucky backcountry. As I was not familiar with the backwoods, I got lost. And being a typical man, I didn't stop for directions. I finally arrived an hour late and saw the funeral guy had evidently gone and the hearse was nowhere in sight. There were only the diggers and crew left and they were eating lunch. I felt badly and apologized to the men for being late. I went to the side of the grave and looked down and the vault lid was already in place. I didn't know what else to do, so I started to play. The workers put down their luncheons, lunches and began to gather around. I played out my heart and soul for this man with no family and friends. I played like I'd never played before for this homeless man. And as I played Amazing Grace, the workers began to weep. They wept. I wept. We all wept together. When I finished, I packed up my bagpipes and started for my car. Though my head hung low, my heart was full. As I opened the door to my car, I heard one of the workers say, I never seen nothing like that before, and I've been putting in septic tanks for 20 years. (laughs) 
sometimes we can lose our way and end up in the wrong place. And it's easy to do that with difficult passages of Scripture. It's easy to do that when you encounter a passage of Scripture that challenges you both in your modern day thinking and in the content of what God is speaking to us as he is addressing us. Now, this section is the third in a list of Paul's section on submission. He spoke of husbands and wives, wives being submitted to husbands. He spoke about parents and children, children obeying their parents and, and honoring their parents. And, and prior to teaching on submission earlier in chapter 5, Paul makes a crucial statement. He tells us in verse 18 of chapter 5, he says, And do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And Paul is, is putting that in because he knows that apart from being filled with God's Spirit, having the power of God's Spirit, it is impossible for us to actually live out the very challenges he gives us in these passages following. For wives and husbands to live together in such a way where wives are submitted to husbands, husbands are loving wives, where children are obeying and honoring parents, where parents are living with their children and not exasperating them. And now he goes on to slaves and masters. In a number of ways, I, I think this passage on slaves and masters subtly summarizes the entire book of Ephesians because throughout Ephesians, what, what Paul's theme has been is to talk about how the church has been united, how Jew and Gentile have come together, how those who hated one another, who were separated, were brought together through the gospel of Jesus Christ, where sin had separated and brought division and hatred. God, in his kindness, through the gospel, changes hearts. And he unites those who were once enemies, and now they're family. Those who were so far apart, whether rich or poor, Samaritan or Jew, Greek, Roman, whoever was in this Ephesian church, which was made up of a number of people from a lot of different areas because it was an international city. He, he's talking about how God, through the gospel, has brought together all these men and women. And now in this passage... He's addressing slaves and masters, which can be a very difficult passage for us because in our day and age, we don't quite get the slave and master content that Paul is talking about here. This book displays the transforming power of the gospel. It transforms the gospel changes lives. We were dead in sin. We were enemies of God, Paul writes in chapter 2. We were separated from God. We were objects, children of wrath. We were under the judgment of God. And God in his mercy, Paul writes, sends Christ to die on a cross to sacrifice for our sins that no longer would we be enemies of God but we would no longer be enemies with one another. And this entire book displays how the transforming power of the gospel changes human relationships. It first must change a spiritual relationship, our relationship between God and ourselves. But then it talks about the change that God has wrought in human relationships. All you need to do is turn on the news, open a newspaper, and see how human relationships are at their worst in our society today. It's why we prayed this morning. The church is persecuted. People are being slaughtered. There's hatred among the world. And God, in this addressing passage to us, as he speaks to us in Ephesians, he uses this 
unusual situation of slaves and masters. Now, the entire book of Philemon stresses the powerful change between a slave, Onesimus, and his master, Philemon. And how God brought them back together as, as Paul encourages Philemon not to receive Onesimus back as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. And that the gospel has made a difference. And there are numerous other passages in the New Testament that speak specifically to slaves and masters. Colossians 3.22, Colossians 4.1, Timothy 6.1, Titus 2.9, and 1 Peter 2.19 are just a few of the passages that speak directly into this passage, to this situation of slaves and masters and how they relate to one another in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ in light of what God has done. Now, Paul's words here are difficult, but they're necessary because a number of the Ephesian believers were slaves. Paul's not writing to a church filled with free men. He's writing to a church filled with both slaves and masters. This is written to men and women who have been transformed by the gospel. This is a letter written to Christians, not to unbelievers. And Ephesians and its, its story talks to these men and women about the transforming power of the gospel and what God is doing among them and what God wants to do among us because God is good, because God loves us. Because God made a way for us to be reconciled to him. And he's made a way for us to be reconciled to one another. And he's made a way for us to be ambassadors for Christ. That the world might be reconciled to him as he uses us. And so this this passage about slaves and masters, although although the application we would not find in our society today. There, there is a parallel, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, of employer and employee. We've talked about husbands and wives. We've talked about children. We've talked about the family. But there's this whole realm outside of that there Christians live in with employer and employee. We have been changed. In this book, we have learned about how we have moved from death to life, how we have moved from hatred to love, how we have moved from despair to hope in Jesus Christ. And God, in his kindness to us, God, in his goodness, wants to address us this morning. Because when Jesus enters our lives, he transforms us. And we don't live the same way. We are different. We live differently than we did before. And think about it. How miraculous it is. Put yourself in in the, the Ephesian church. These are men and women, slaves and free men, sitting side by side as this circular letter, which went through a number of churches in Asia Minor, as the pastor of that church, stood before the congregation and read this letter. Husbands and wives are being affected. Each person being reminded of the gospel, being reminded that they were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, that each person is reminded that they are to be imitators of Christ and how they are to live for Christ. Families are addressed. And then Paul, in his letter, is He gets to this point. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Imagine being a slave sitting there. Wow. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. With a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or he is free. So whether you're sitting there 
as a free man or you're sitting there as a slave, God is speaking to you. And these words must have had a powerful impact because in the society of that day, slavery was the norm. It was, it was a time that slavery was accepted. Now, Paul in this passage and in the other passages that he writes is not condoning slavery. That's not what he's doing here. Now, and, and there, is, there is some controversy at times because there are many who've wondered, well, why doesn't he condemn slavery? Why doesn't he condemn what we know to be a horrific treatment of humanity? And we'll explain that in a moment. But, but Paul doesn't condemn and he doesn't condone. It's simply the culture of the day. And in, in one way, Paul would have had done, done more to harm the gospel if he had been an activist against slavery at that time because it was such a normal, a normal way of life in that day. See, understand that, that back in, in these times, these ancient times, Christians were regarded as atheists. Because they didn't worship Roman gods who provided the good things of life for the Roman people. They didn't worship the Greek gods. They didn't worship anyone but Christ. And so they were regarded as atheists. And so anytime anything bad happened, because these men and women in Ephesus, this small new church, were not worshiping the gods of the Greeks and the Romans, when anything bad happened, it was blamed on Christians. They took the blame. And so that's why you see the persecution that took place. And Paul, Paul's motive here is, is not to be an activist, but it's to be an ambassador for Christ, to proclaim the gospel. A few years ago, after my knee replacement, Marilyn decided that I needed to watch an entire season of Downton Abbey. Being in a drug-induced state, I could not refuse it was both enlightening and it was appalling as I viewed this early 20th century English home because as a Christian, my, the, the common sense that I had was it was appalling to watch the way the English upper class related to the English lower class, the servants in their household. Kitchen maids could never go upstairs. Women could not vote. The Irish could not vote. You would never marry below your class or you couldn't marry above your class. And then all of a sudden, because I watched Downton Abbey, World War I shows up and it changed everything. Something brought about change. And if you study history, you will see that over time, the reason Paul didn't need to condemn slavery, the reason is that over time, as men and women's hearts were changed for Christ, the world was transformed. And change eventually began to come about. And men like William Wilberforce came to the front to fight for the abolition of slavery. And time goes on, you see that slavery does have an end in most societies. And that's because of the influence of the gospel. That's because God changed human hearts. Not that we don't fight injustice. I want to make that clear. As Christians, we do. We stand for those who are being unjustly accused and persecuted. But Paul was after something different. In India, slavery does not exist, but a class system still does. And even though the class system is outlawed in India, the rich Hindus still rule over the poor Hindus. 70% of India is far below the poverty level. They live in rural India. 
and they suffer. Poverty and corruption are rampant because of this, but that is not India's greatest problem. India's greatest problem is its worship of false gods, its paganism. That's what's created the society they have. They need Christ. And over the past 16 years, as I've traveled to India and I have visited hundreds of villages with Yesupadam, who was here last week, in every village throughout the years where a church has been planted, change has come about because the gospel has transformed. And churches that were completely impoverished, you see prosperity coming to that village. You see Hindus who were, who were enemies of the church coming to Christ. And now the village is coming together and they're working together. And I could take you to place after place where I have been in India that has been transformed. Not by social structures, not by good-hearted people, but by the gospel. And that is what's happening here in Ephesians 6. Our greatest need is not a change of social status. And that's why Paul doesn't condemn slavery here. It's not a change of financial status. We need to have our hearts transformed by the gospel. This passage that we read here is like no other passage in Scripture. It's, it's what makes the Bible so unique and powerful because God addresses us here with the following, that no matter our circumstances, because we are Christians, we're, to call, we're called to live for Christ so that we can display the goodness of Christ. God is speaking to us. He's telling us, he's saying, slaves, obey your earthly masters. Masters, treat your slaves graciously and kindly. He's telling them this because no matter the circumstance you're in, whether slave or master or employee, employer, we're called to live for Christ that we might display the goodness of Christ. How we live, how these slaves lived with their masters made a difference because it it demonstrated the gospel to other slaves. How these masters treated their slaves made a difference because it demonstrated the gospel to other masters, especially in this day and age when slavery was so, so rampant. No matter our circumstances, because we're Christians, we're called to live for Christ, so we display the goodness of Christ. So how do we manage our relationships? Because how does this passage apply to us, this, this scripture here that talks about slaves and masters, but for us, we can talk about employers and employees. What is God saying to employers and employees? Because many of you here are employees, or many of you here are employers. And God is addressing you this morning because he wants to be good to you. And he wants, to, he wants to transform your life in such a way that others see the light of Christ and they experience the goodness of God. Two points this morning. What are the attitudes and actions of a servant of Christ? And what are the attitudes and actions of a master who is in Christ? What are the attitudes and actions of a servant of Christ? And what are the attitudes and actions of a master who is in Christ? Well, the first one, the attitudes and actions of a servant of Christ. All of us have earthly masters. I don't care who you are. You have earthly masters. You have somebody who stands in authority above you, whether it's the government or your employer or somebody in your family or your church, your pastor, we all live under authority. Nobody is exempt. And Paul here in this passage describes both good and bad attitudes, good attitude, bad attitudes and, and, and bad actions as well. Look at verse 6 and 7. Paul writes, don't, don't act slaves, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, 
doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men. So not by way of eye-pleasing. And, and Paul is just simply saying, slaves, what do you do when your master is watching you? Do you work harder? Do you serve more diligently, more faithfully, more passionately? Or what do you like when he's not around? Do you slack off? What is your work ethic? And who are you doing it for? Are you just doing it to please those who are watching? And all of us, this is something I taught my son growing up. I just tried to hammer him that, that integrity was what you do when no one else is watching. Integrity is what you do when no one else is watching. And that's what Paul is after here. What are you doing when no one is watching? Or what are you doing when someone is watching? Are you different? Are you this, or are you the same person? Because that is your witness for Christ. Sadly, over the past 31 years of being a pastor, as I've talked to employers, as I've counseled, it has been to the shame of some that their, their work ethic has not represented Christ. And that is what Paul is challenging you here. Does your work ethic represent Jesus Christ? What are you like? I know I was a mess before coming to Christ. I worked in a warehouse with a bunch of high school buddies. And I mean, the moment no one was looking, we were napping. The moment no one was looking, we were doing food runs. The moment no one was looking, we were doing everything we could to get away with not working. We were, we were doing it by way of eye-pleasing. We just worked when we were watched. And Paul is saying, no, you have a witness Are you people pleasers? Do you do a good job to make a good impression, to promote your own welfare? Or do you do it to please the Lord and to promote the welfare of your employer? Do you work in such a manner as to make your employer a success? Is that your motivation? Or is it to make yourself a success? There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. And that's why Paul just says here, that you would do it as you would Christ, that you would do it as to the Lord. It is a, a phrase that he uses again and again. Husbands and wives said, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Children, obey and honor your parents in the Lord. And here, slaves, obey your earthly masters, fear and trembling with a sincere heart, not eye service, not people pleasing, but servants as to the Lord. When you get up in the morning, what motivates you at work? Is it to the Lord or is it to your promotion? Is it to your reputation? Is it to your own glory? One brings honor to Christ. The other brings shame. One brings a witness of the gospel. The other brings, sadly, it, it diminishes the gospel. Are you serving men rather than God? Look at verse 7. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Now, yeah, you work for a person, for sure. No doubt about it. But you, you don't do it primarily for that person. We have an amazing, an amazing person in this church named Nora Earls who works for me as my administrative assistant. Um, 
I was talking to an old friend yesterday in another Sovereign Grace church, and, I was, and he, want, he called me to catch up with me and wanted to know uh, how things were going, and he wanted to know about the church, and we hadn't spoken in a year, and so I was telling him about the church, and I was telling him about who serves where, and I was telling him about, you know, uh, the guys I have on the leadership team, and Jim Cowan doing sound ministry, and he's just, oh, wow, that's amazing, and I said, and I've got Nora Earls as my administrative assistant, he goes, oh, that's who's running the church. <laughs> He's an insightful, discerning man. (laughs) Nora serves me incredibly well. And I know she does it to bless me, but I know more than anything, Nora serves Christ. She shows up and she does it to love Christ. She does it because she wants the gospel advanced in Clarksburg and Montgomery County and the surrounding area. That's why she does it. It's not to men. So that's why I do what she says. (laughs) There are bad attitudes and bad actions. Eye-pleasing, people-pleasers, serving men rather than God. But there are good actions and there are good attitudes as employees or slaves, as Paul writes here in verses 5 through 8. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Look at all those descriptions, fear and trembling, sincere heart, as you would Christ, doing the will of God, rendering service, goodwill, not to, the, not to man, but to the Lord, doing good. We can be godly employees. Let me give you just five quick ways. The first is through obedience. Obey your earthly masters. Do what they tell you. When you're asked to do something, you do it. Raising my children, I was real clear on on what obedience is. Obedience is, this is what, and my children would repeat this back to me. Okay, what does daddy say obedience is? It's immediate, it's thorough, and it's cheerful. It's immediate, it's thorough. In other words, you complete everything I've given you to do, and it's cheerful. And we worked on that until the day they left home and got married. <laughs> and now I watch them doing the same with their own children. We are obedient. We obey those in authority above us, those who are employers, those who are our masters. We obey them and we do what we're told. We follow through and we do it cheerfully. We do it with a heart that is joyful because we're doing it for Christ. Secondly, we do it with respect. Look at fear and trembling. Now, this is a phrase that's, that's commonly used by Paul, and it's not an attitude that of abject terror, which, which some slaves back in this day had. They, they, they were terrified of their masters because they had horrible masters. And so there was abject fear, but, but Paul is talking about Fear and trembling with an attitude of honor and reverence. In, in 2 Corinthians 7.15, Paul uses this phrase that he came to the Corinthians in fear and trembling. Not because he was afraid of them. Paul wasn't afraid of anybody. He came to them in fear and trembling because Paul didn't want to misrepresent the gospel. And so he uses that phrase, I came to you with fear and trembling. And that is what Paul is after here, that that we serve with fear and trembling, that we would never misrepresent Christ in the way we relate to our employees or our employers. This is how we're to approach serving our earthly masters, with obedience and respect, and then sincerity. 
with a sincere heart as you would Christ. The word sincerity comes from two Latin words, sign and sera, which literally means without wax. Back in, in the ancient days, pottery was made. If it was pure pottery, there were no cracks in it. And you could hold it up to the light and you wouldn't see light coming through any of the pottery. But where there were cracks in the pottery, what, what the sellers would do, the merchants would do, is they would fill them with wax so that their light wouldn't come through. But you could still see a difference. And so you knew a piece of pottery was pure and it would be marked sign Sarah or sincere. It was pure. And that's what Paul is after here, that we work with no cracks, that we work with purity of motive, purity of heart, that we honor those because we love God and we want to honor him. Obedience, respect, sincerity, loyalty, having an integrity, like I said, when no one else is around, as bondservants who desire to please God, doing the will of God, not in a grudging manner. Do you grumble and complain? Is there a grudging manner within your heart? Because if it is, it is not as to the Lord. And then finally, with a good will. In other words, this is a conscious decision to do what's right and honorable. Throughout this section, Paul takes men out of the picture and he pivots our attention to Christ. Look, look at this. Verse 5. Slaves, obey your mas- earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. Look, as you would Christ. Number one. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ. Number two, doing the will of God. Number three, as to the Lord. Number four, and he will receive back from the Lord. Five times in that passage, it's to the Lord, for the Lord. That, that is what Paul is after here. That the people that you serve, the people that you work for, the people that work for you, you are it's not men who are in the focus here. It's God. It's God. You see, what Paul is, what's most important to Paul is not man's relationship to man, although it might appear that way here. What's most important to Paul is man's relationship to God. That is what he's after here. When you see Christ in the equation, no matter how you're treated, and that was what Paul is speaking to here. And as you go through the other passages in Timothy and Colossians and Titus and 1 Peter, Paul is addressing slaves who were suffering at times under earthly masters. And and Paul is aware that there are slaves who are suffering under earthly masters. Some slaves had very good masters. And that's why you would remember the stories about slaves who would have their ears pierced at the the doorpost with an awl to say that they, they would render service to their masters for the rest of their lives because they were family members. And and slaves were considered a part of the household. But Paul is is addressing slaves who live in a society where they are slaves, they don't have rights, they don't have freedoms, and they do have masters who can be cruel. And even in the midst of cruel masters, even in the midst of suffering, Paul says, writes, slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Even if you have an employer who is unkind and ungracious, who does not recognize your contributions, serve them with fear and trembling. Serve them with a sincere heart. I'm You may be a slave, an employee of a man who is cruel or unkind, but in reality, you're a slave of Christ. You've been bought with a price. You're not your own anymore. Now, here's the thing. Whether you serve a good employer or a bad employer, you're doing it for the Lord. And is your service to please him? Paul doesn't leave any room here 
for grumbling or complaining. What a huge difference that makes in our attitudes and our actions. And here's, here's the goodness of God. Don't miss the goodness of God because these are, these are challenging words to, to especially those who don't have the kindness, the kindest masters or employers or people that they're under authority. Here's the kindness of God. Here's the goodness of God. He says this in verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, whatever good you do at work, whatever good you do to those who are over you in authority, this he will receive back from the Lord. You will receive back from the Lord. God has an interest in you. God cares about you. God looks down on your work situation. He looks down on your situation where you're under somebody and he says, I care. I care. And, and what I care about is you. I care about how you respond. And I have rewards for you. I will reward you one day for this. I may reward you in this life, but I will definitely be rewarding you in the next life. We, we have a kingdom mentality that is in the future. And we live for Christ because one day we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Homer Kent, in his commentary, says this. He said, God evaluates the Christian conduct of all his children, and in his grace he will reward his servants at the judgment seat of Christ in ways far more significant and enduring than could any earthly benefactor. That's, that's what we hope for because we have a good and loving Father. These words can be reality. These words can be pursued. These words can be obeyed. These words that God addresses us with this morning can be true in our lives because we have a good God who has given us His Spirit. That's why we are to be filled with the Spirit. This is necessary for us to do this. But we have His Holy Spirit. God, in His mercy and kindness, gave us His Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, the Convictor, the the one who, who encourages us and strengthens us and empowers us that we can live this way. And we can. But Paul doesn't stop. See, that's the wonderful thing about not only Paul, but mostly about God. God is fair. God doesn't just stop at slaves. He doesn't just stop at employees. He gets on masters as well. He says, hey, I've got a few words for you as well. Masters, do the same to them. What is the same? Well, the same is... Treat your slaves with fear and trembling. Treat your slaves with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Doing good to them from your heart. Rendering service as, with a good will to your slaves as to the Lord and not to man. Masters, do the same and stop your threatening. I could just... I could be, I would just love to have been next to an Ephesian slave in that meeting when these words are being read, sitting next to his master. Master, stop your threatening. Yeah. (laughs) What joy must have leapt in that slave's heart. But you know why that joy would leap in the slave's heart? Not because... The master would stop threatening. But because of these next words, there is no partiality with Christ. There's no partiality. We're on equal footing before the cross. We stand before Jesus Christ, master and slave, as equal. We're not equal in this life. That's true. But before the one who counts the most, 
we stand before Christ who is equal. And that is to be a powerful statement to employers. You're not more important than your employee. Or masters, you're not more important than your slave. And the witness that you have for Christ in the way you treat your employee or your slave is just as crucial as the slave in the way he relates to you. It's for the glory of God. Be a master, an employer who does not threaten because ultimately Christ is our master. That's who we all live for. So application. The attitudes and actions of a servant, the attitudes and actions of a master, how do we apply this? Well, I just, there's some questions I want to ask. If you're an employee, do you grumble and complain? Do you grumble and complain? Grumbling and complaining was such a serious sin to God that in the Old Testament, 23,000 died in one day. Now, I'm not saying when you leave here, the ground's going to open up and swallow you if you've been grumbling and complaining, but you need to stop. Don't grumble and complain about your employer. Don't grumble and complain to your employer. Don't grumble and complain to others. Don't grumble and complain. Do you give less to your employer as a way of retaliating against him if you don't like him? Sometimes people hold back in their service because it's just a way to retaliate. Do you give 100%? Do you do it with all excellence? Or do you just give a little less? Do you gossip and slander? Do you speak badly about your employer? Do you steal? Do you steal time? Do you steal materials? Paul wrote earlier in Ephesians 4 that we are to stop stealing. If you're stealing time, and I think that's where I see most people can struggle. I just, this week I hear a report that government workers are just spending hours upon hours on their computers, on the internet and pornography websites, stealing time. And it just doesn't happen in the government. It happens all over, everywhere. And people watch. People watch. Your children watch you. Other employees watch you. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Don't speak badly. Don't steal. Do good to your employers. I love Jeremiah 29. It's a wonderful passage that I would encourage you to consider as you go to work each day. 29.7. Hope I got this one right this morning. Good, it's not about cooking. Jeremiah writes, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare, and you will find your welfare. Now, Paul is, I mean, Jeremiah is writing, he's prophesying to a group of people that were in exile in Babylon. And he's telling them, seek the welfare of the city. When you get there, do good and seek the welfare of the place you've been exiled to, to the Babylonian Empire, to Nebuchadnezzar, who you have been, in a sense, enslaved to. Seek their good. And so each day, I would encourage you, when you go off to work, think about how can I seek the good of my employer? And then, are you an employer? Or do you have people that work under you and for you? My questions are, do you treat them as Christ treats you? Are you treating them with a sincere heart and a good will? Do you treat them as you fear and tremble before the Lord? 
of those who you'll give an account for, do you threaten them? Are you fair and impartial the way Christ is? These are questions to evaluate whether you're an employee or an employer, whether you have people working under you. Brothers and sisters, this passage has so much relevance to us. We all work. We all relate to employers and employees. We all are called to be witnesses for Christ. We're ambassadors. And we have a God that has been so good to us. He has done so much for us in Christ. And now he wants us to be ambassadors and witnesses for him that others would experience the goodness of God in their lives. And our, our witness for Christ is either going to be diminished or is going to be enhanced by the way we live in this manner. Let me finish with this passage in 1 Peter 2.13. If you just, actually just close your eyes and listen to me read this. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it you endure, but if when you do good and suffer for it you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls.